Well, the last few weeks we've been going through what book? Great, thank you. That was unity. Look at that. Not uniformity, but unity, right? How many have been reading Ephesians between Sundays? Great. How challenging is this book for those of you that have been reading it? Challenging? Horribly challenging. And then when, you know, we say this all the time, when you're preaching it, you get what? Tested. Yuck. And you will see in a minute why I'm saying this statement. I have not enjoyed being tested with the passage we are going to go through this morning, which is chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. Now, last week, we ended on a high note. Mark ended on a high note with the phrase, Jesus is here. You saw it on the door, right? Jesus is here. Paul is in prison, but he's not in prison. Remember that? Geographically, he's in prison. But where he is in his mind, in his heart, and his spirit is in Christ Jesus. And he writes this letter to uh, the church in Ephesus. And then we hear at the end, Jesus is here. Everything that we go through, when we're in Jesus, we can get through it. Not just get through it, but thrive in the midst of it. And lives are transformed. Mark did a great job at illustrating that last week. And so now we come to chapter 4. And uh, if you take out your insert and your bulletin and read along with me, and again, keep that question, Lord, what do you want me to see? What do you want me to see? Okay? I believe God has a word for us as a congregation. He has a word for us individually. So let's be listening for both. Okay? Starting in verse 1 through 6. As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Okay, that is, does anyone see the magnitude of this passage? When I looked and saw that this is a passage I'd be doing, I wanted to kind of throw up because it's a big responsibility because there's a lot of stuff in this and we could spend eternity just on this because this is huge. But we're not going to do that this morning. We're going to take a look at some key pieces that uh, apply to us where we are today as far as getting to know Jesus better and then out of knowing him, live in him in such a way that brings kingdom transformation. That's what we're about, amen? So, first thing we see here is that Paul says, as a prisoner... And, and Mark covered that last week. Yeah, he's a prisoner, but he's not a prisoner, right? So he's writing in Jesus. Then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling. Let's stop there. The calling. Okay, in the Greek, that means to be summoned in a divine manner. So God, when we say the word, God has a call on each and every one of your lives. How many have stumbled on that word call before? Anybody other than me? What does that mean to be called? Well, simply, 
It's it, simple definition is to be summoned. It, it's to be drawn into by someone or something. In this case, God is summoning us to do something. Now, the calling definition is simple. The implications are what complicated, right? Because we're trying to discern what that is, not just as a congregation, but individually. So we know, okay, the word call means God is leading us somewhere, but then the question comes, where is he leading us to? Okay? So call is not a, a complicated thing. Where we're being called to can be complicated when we're trying to discern that. Does that make sense? All right, yeah, good. I'm glad you're with me here. So Paul is saying the calling that you have received, live a life worthy of the calling you've been re- you have received. Well, what is he talking about here? Well, the call of the church. And he go through, goes through this in chapter 3. In verse 10, he says he, want, he wants to manifest his wisdom in the church so that everything, all the heavenly realms can see who he is. One of the main functions of the church, the call of the church, that it would be the manifestation of God's wisdom for all to see. Okay? So that's Paul is referring to. And then later, in, in verse 21 of chapter 3, he says, so that his glory can be seen. So a call of the church is to exemplify God's glory. Well, how is his glory seen? Well, through the way we live our lives. And we live it by saying, God, what do you want to do? And I'm going to follow you. Abiding. Okay, you've all heard me say that word, what, a million times? Abiding. That's how God's glory is going to be seen. So, Paul says, live a life worthy of the calling you have received. So, are we clear on the call? All right. Here's the big ones. Be completely humble. Yikes. (laughs) I'm terrible at this one. Anyone terrible at this one? No one wants to raise their hand. (laughs) Now, notice the word before humble. What is it? Completely. Does that mean partially, sometimes? No. Completely. Always. No stone unturned. Humility. Well, what does it mean? What does humility mean? Well, you've got all these definitions, right? Right? Let's have some participation here. What is humility to you? When I say you're to be completely humble, when God says you're to be completely humble, what are you hearing? Lord, boldness in Jesus' name. Pray for boldness. Get those arms warmed up. Accepting who I am in Christ. Yeah, that's a great one. Die to myself. Yes. Anything else? Whoa, that was all... Say again. More of him, less of me. Surrender. like that. What? Not proud. Okay, we all have these understandings, right? And Scripture, in the Greek, is basically a lowliness of nature. Right? Um, Humbling yourself, taking yourself to a lower place. Quite physically, right? In a sense, you see people take a knee. They're on their knees when they're praying. There's a sense of humility there that God is above us. But there's something deeper here that I want to look at. And this is just something God's impressed on my heart. Because I've had this understanding of humility where it means I've got to either insult myself or tear myself down. Has anyone ever done that? And you're thinking this is humility. You know, when someone says... 
Oh, you did a good job on this, Brendan. Nah. Thank you, but... Mm. And in my mind, I'm going, I'm nothing. I'm nothing. And, and that's not good, right? Because what, I, what I'm saying there is that I guess my value isn't secure in my mind in Christ Jesus. Because obviously, everything for me that I try to do according to the call I have from Him is to glorify Him. And if I am actually abiding in Him and... And God does the work, and someone says, good job for being faithful, it's okay to say thank you. God be the glory. Instead of me always having to to, um, put myself down thinking it's humility. That's not humility. It's not. It's just tearing yourself down. God loves us, right? And he chooses to use us to glorify himself. Now, Paul does a great job at this because um, we see... In chapter uh, 3, verse 8, he says, Although I'm less than the least of all God's people. Okay, if you, if you leave it right there, it sounds like he's kind of tearing himself down a little bit, right? Well, he doesn't leave it there. So he says, okay, he identifies that he, he probably deserves the worst. But there's this nice but. This grace was given to me to preach the gospel, is basically what it says following, to the Gentiles. So he understands that apart from God, he can do nothing. But in God, he can do mighty things for God's glory, not his own. That's humility. You don't see, um, humility doesn't mean lack of confidence either. Because oftentimes with humility, I go, man, I can't be confident in who I am. I've got to seem like I'm not good at stuff, even if I am and God's made. Has anyone ever done that? You know what? If Mark is stepping up in the name of Jesus and delivers a message from God that blows our socks off and he's chosen to be faithful. Good job, servant of Christ. And he's confident in it. He didn't have to be apologetic for being used by God if God does a work. There's a difference between arrogance and confidence. And because you have confidence does not mean you're not humble. So let's get that out there. Because that can be a tricky thing for us, can't it? I, I, I have a hard time receiving things because I feel so undeserving instead of having the grace to say thank you and be confident in what God is doing. And we see arrogance all over the world, right? It's all over the place. You can really see it and hear it loudly from sports figures, right? <laughs> have you ever heard the sports stars that go, I'm the greatest. I'm greatest. Well, how do you become great? I just stay humble. (laughs) You're doing awesome at it. That's the example I want to follow. I rock. How do you rock? I stay humble. Well, it's interesting because I was asking the Lord, Lord, can you give me an illustration that we can all see that would exemplify this? And... Last night, whether you like it or not, whether you like the sport or not, you've got MMA, you know the mixed martial arts stuff, all over the place now. And there's this one guy who's the Michael Jordan of of, um, MMA. His name is Anderson Silva. Has anyone ever heard of him? Okay, this guy's like a ballerina in the ring. I mean, kind of like a Muhammad Ali. You don't touch him, he touches you, right? And you go down. And he's been the champion for seven years. Seven years. That's a long time, okay? 
seven years untouched. And here comes this guy, a Christian guy, humble in origin. He's from Long Island. He's gone through some horrific things. And he was given the opportunity to fight this guy last night. And I didn't get to see it, but I, I, I woke up this morning. For some reason, I feel like I had to check the news. So I check the news, and I watch these post-interviews. And, and this guy, Chris Weidman, he's, he's a guy from Long Island. He's a young guy. When you hear him, he's got confidence, but he's got humility. Because he's no, he knows that he, he trains hard. He works at being good, and he's, I'm confident in this. I'm not afraid. I'm confident. And there's not, but there's something there like, you know that it's not arrogance. Do you know what I'm talking about? He's got this perfect balance of humility, but knowing who he is. He doesn't have to tear himself down to reach that, that low standard of humility. So I'm so anxious to find out who won this thing. So anxious, because I had a feeling about this guy. When I saw him talk, I'm like, Lord, can you humble Anderson Silva through this guy? That would be cool. Because really it was a David and Goliath moment. It really... It, no one could beat this guy. The best in the world ever tried to beat this guy. They can't beat him. And he's been called arguably the greatest fighter ever lived. You're talking about history of man. People are throwing that out there. That's kind of crazy. So to my surprise and delight, I wake up this morning here. Not only did he get beat, but he got beat in the second round, very beginning of the second round, because he was doing this. The, the, ring op- or the round opens up, and here comes Anderson Silva. He gets hit once by Chris, and then he goes like this. And as he does that, Chris looks at him, going like this, and goes, boom, out cold. Now, if that's not getting humbled, I don't know what is. But it was interesting because what Chris said at the, the post-fight uh, interviews, he said this. They asked him, they said, were you nervous stepping in the cage with the greatest fighter of all time? Were you nervous? What was it like when you were, you were back in the workout room anticipating going out there in just a few minutes? He said, I was as calm as I've ever been because I cast all my anxieties and all my cares upon Jesus. And I went in, and I was good, Right? That's a, a good illustration, I think, of humility in Christ Jesus. He knows who he is, and went out there and he did work. He didn't boast, he didn't brag. And they asked him, what did you say to him in the cage? Well, he, first he said, I wanted to ask if he was okay. Because in there, and this is, this, this is going to lead us to this next part. In the ring, after it was all over, I want to make sure he was okay, because I, grow, I grew to love him with every moment I was in there. And there is this sense of respect. And this is a guy you believe because it's not like, you know, one of those guys that's like got arrogance and he's trying to say all these nice things to make it seem like he's home. It was coming from a servant's heart. And that leads us to this, this place of be completely humble and gentle. Now this word gentle, that's a tough one too because does that mean weakness? No. Does that mean I've got to be dainty and very careful with every little thing? No. Not necessarily, no. Gentleness, the Greek tells us, I can't even, you know, I I try to pronounce these Greek words. You know, I spend time trying to pronounce them, and it's just a waste of time. 
So whatever I say, just go with it. Is that cool? Whatever it sounds. Prautes. That's what it says. Prautes, which means mildness. But the, 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 the root of that word is pra, which means meekness, which means strength and gentleness together. So there's this sense when we hear this word gentleness that it can be this wussiness. No, there's a strength but a calm in the midst of the storm. Does that make sense? I mean, when I was listening to this guy, Chris, you could see that balance. You could see a guy that had this gentleness about him. But when it came time, he relied on the Lord and you saw this strength. Because when I read this passage and, and Paul says, live a life worthy of the calling, be, you know, I'm like, the last thing I, I expect to hear is humble, gentle, and patient. When you're thinking about the God of the universe, Right? I mean, in that culture, humble, gentle, patient, strength is what ruled the day. And you see Jesus, he exemplifies this, right? He's the complete package of humility, of gentleness, of patience. And then you see the Pharisees, and they're kind of the opposite, right? You see an arrogance. See a sense of, let's kill this guy. So you don't see gentleness. But you see Jesus handle his business with this humility and this gentleness that did not lack an ounce of strength. So when we're told to be completely humble and gentleness, these kind of go together. Because humility is not without confidence and gentleness is not without strength. So in fact, when we look at these and we go, those are kind of very, you know, stale kind of things to hear, they're powerful. They're not weak. They're powerful. Because when we humble ourselves, and when we become gentle, then you see the kingdom fleshed out in a world that needs to know all of that, because the world is opposite of that. So what God is trying to draw out of us is the things that the world needs to see about His heart, so their hearts can change. And then we come... So the real big one, and we all hate this, be patient, bearing with another, one another in love. Well, bearing and patient are completely connected because bearing means to be patient with someone. And patience is this sense of, of long suffering. Yay, sign me up for that. Not just the suffering class, I want the long suffering class because that gets me going, baby. And now, I've got to practice patience and then learn to bear with people. Well, I can bear with people in frustration, but now you want me to bear with them in love. Meaning to see what God sees. And I'm like, ah. Oh. How many of you have road rage? Be honest, it's time. Whether you say it out loud or not, you know what's going on in here, right? I don't know anything that tests my patience more than being on the road. I don't. I mean, people test my patience, but people in cars. And then you add the Minnesota roads, which are wonderful, right? All these orange cones everywhere. These little, like, swiggly routes with these cement walls keeping you in. You feel like a rat in a maze. And then you add bad drivers into that. How am I to be patient? How am I to bear with these people in love? 
unfortunately, in my youth, I probably loved them the wrong way. By the name of a bird. You know what I'm talking about? I'm being honest. It's okay to be vulnerable here. But that was a poor way of doing it. So this being patient, it's very challenging. Especially when there's chaos. I find when there's chaos, it's hard to be calm in the storm, is it not? We get frantic. Then we react instead of process and respond. And oftentimes, our reactions are probably not the best decisions we've made. Yeah? Has anyone made a bad decision based off reaction because things get frantic when all you had to do is be still, be patient, bear in the, middle, in the midst of it with the people you're with? I shared this story before, but I want to share it again because it had a huge impact on my life. And it exemplifies the sense of patience, but it wraps up humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another. And so I'm going to tell a story Again, when I was in high school, my, my youth pastor um, was a, a mason of humble origins. He knew the word, and he knew his value in Jesus. And I remember going, man, I wish I was like him, because I was cocky, I was arrogant. And I wanted to be like this guy, because every time I was with him, I felt safe. Do you have someone like that in your life? where they just, The world can be going you know, crazy in your life, but when you're with that person, it feels like everything goes... You know what I'm talking about? So this is that kind of guy for me. He discipled me for several years. And we went to this camp. And, you know, we had one of those students on that summer camp that was kind of crazy. And she was going off breaking rules, you know, kind of the rules are meant to be broken kind of thing. And it tested everyone's patience. Everyone's. Mine included. And I got really irritated. So I caught her late at night doing something that she wasn't supposed to be doing. And as a good Christian, I tattled on her. <laughs> I was concerned. Now, I really want to get her in trouble because she was annoying me. And that is not the way to handle the situation. And she was so upset, she ran away. And we're in the woods, in the mountains. And these are the mountains in California, in San Bernardino. You got bears and cougars all over the place. And so now the entire camp is out looking for her. We can't find her. And then finally, I find her down this hill covered in pine needles. The camp is is infuriated with my youth pastor. And just because she's our girl and now everyone's losing sleep. And I remember, here's here's a line of Christians. Everyone's circled up here, like in a semicircle, looking down at this girl. And she's just sobbing in these pine needles. And there's a line, here you've got the semicircle of people, and there's this line of people on each side of her. And they're all yelling at her and everything. I couldn't believe it. This is Christian people. I felt like, oh my gosh, they're going to stone her. Like, this is getting bad. And here comes this six foot three man. Okay, and he walked like this. He just had this hunch about him. And he starts walking down the steep hill. Now, he's a mason, so he had these construction boots and these huge calf muscles, like as big as my head. And he's walking down, and the director of the camp is yelling at my youth pastor, not some nice things, condemning him, just saying, you should have done this, you should have done that. And he keeps walking. 
He doesn't look to the left. He doesn't look to the right. Keeps walking. He, he goes down, and I'm watching this, and it's cold out, and you can see, let's get the drama going here. You can see the breath. You know. And he comes down, and he picks her up, holds her in his arms, and then he proceeds to go back the exact way he came through this crowd of people hurling insults at him, carrying her up the hill, which is not easy to do. It's not even easy to walk up a steep hill, let alone carry someone. And then you got pine needles, it's slippery, you know. And he walks up and he takes her to her cabin, lays her down, and he spends the entire night on her porch to make sure she doesn't leave again and prayed for her the entire night. And I sat there and I said, oh my gosh, Jesus, I just saw you in a way I've never seen you before. Because what you saw was a humility, a gentleness, and patience, bearing with everything going on in love. I went, I mean, that's huge. How many of us can say we do that on a regular basis? Not many of us. Granted, he has his flaws. My pastor has his flaws. But in that moment, for me, he gave me close as I've ever seen a perfect representation of how Jesus would have handled that situation, in my mind, from what I see from the scriptures. He didn't need to defend himself. He didn't need to go toe-to-toe with them. He could have been ticked off at this girl, said, get up, go. No, he picked her up, brought her to safety, and then stood guard. Is that not Jesus or what? Cool stuff. And that's just through verse 3. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. How do we keep the unity of the Spirit? Well, there's probably a lot of different things, maybe. I don't know. But the one thing, when I hear unity, that comes an agreement of what God is doing and joining in together through the Holy Spirit. That means we have to constantly ask what question? God, what are you doing? What do you want? Hear together and then move together. Now, we can unpack that for a long time, but we're not going to right now because we've got a lot more to cover. But simply that, Lord, what do you want to do? If we keep asking that question and we keep listening and answering that question, listening together, God will give us an answer that we are in agreement with moving together, unified, which means now we're moving as the church because the head is moving us. We are the hands and feet of the body of Christ, and he is the head, he's moving us. And we're listening. We're not fighting him. Have you ever seen a puppeteer who can't do it very well? That's kind of what we look like, isn't it? When we try to do stuff that Jesus should be doing. We got to keep listening, engaging him on what he wants to do in us and through us. Because there is one body, one spirit just as you were called to one hope when you were called one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, through all, and in all. What word are you hearing a lot? What two words are you hearing a lot there? All All and what? One. Please be chalk up here. No chalk? Pretend I, I I wrote one on there. And you see that, right? One. There's one door. There you go. Okay. One. Now, why is Paul saying one? Well, Ephesus has a uh, history of being fascinated and indulging itself in magic and the occult. 
And in Ephesus, they worshipped the god Artemis. Thank you. Artemis. One of the Greek goddesses. And so, they attributed power to several different beings. Several different entities. And so Paul is nipping that right through and he says, no, there's one. One. And when you are in that one, you can do these things. Oh, we got chalk now? Look at that. A lot of chalk. Man, God provides, doesn't he? I just want one, Lord. Well, here's 50. All right, what color will you see? Here we go. One. And all. He's in all, through all, is all, everything. All means everything. Everything. Do you get that? Everything. He's over all. He's through all. He's in all. He's father of all. He's the one. Christ Jesus, he's the one. To Mark's point last week, Jesus is here. He is the one. He is over all, and it's only in him and through him we can be completely humble, that we can be completely gentle, patient, and bearing with one another in love and unified. You go outside of him, it begins to crumble. But we do that. We may not be in Ephesus, but we have our own idols, our own things that we pour our energies into that we shouldn't be. We really shouldn't. I shut down. I took out all my cable and all of that stuff because that was becoming a God to me. It was. It was affecting my relationships. It was affecting my relationship with God because I wasn't in here. I'd go home. I'm tired. It's been a long day. I'm going to flip on ESPN and I'm going to shut down for 12 hours. And then the question would be asked to me at work, uh, Brendan, what are you doing to pour into Jesus. I pray a lot while I'm watching TV. Not good enough. There are things that we pour into and instead of going straight to him. Why is that? I don't get that. I don't get why we don't go straight to him for everything. Every single thing. Because we begin to panic, don't we? When situations get hard, we panic and we go, what do I do? Duh. What do you think you're supposed to do? Right? We talked about discontentment. When something's not right, you ask the question, Lord, what do you want to do? And you listen. If you don't know how to listen, then try listening. Because, and that doesn't sound, you know, like Einstein, but you've got to try and work through it, right? I mean, if you're going to get good at anything, you've got to practice. I didn't come out of the womb being able to hear God. Or identify his voice. I heard him. Didn't know how to identify him. And I had to learn. Well, learn. If you don't know how to learn, ask someone you know that does hear God. Talk with them. Ask them questions. But the main point is that we've got to turn to Jesus for everything. Because that's humility. Humility is saying, God, I am yours. See, we even see a lack of humility in a church service, because sometimes we're afraid to do this. Sometimes we're afraid to really pour out of what God's doing in our life because we're afraid of what people will think, what we will think. That's not humility. 
Because humility is saying, God, my life is yours. Done. Because if that's the case, if that's the case, you will be completely humble. And you won't know it either because it's just life for you. It's just life saying, Lord, I'm yours this morning. Lord, I'm yours this morning. What do you want to do? What do you want to do? What do you want to do? And God speaks to us through this. Some say this is boring. I don't know how to read it. Learn. Right? To say we don't know something is not good enough. If we're not struggling with how to hear God through his word, through prayer, through his people, we can't be expected to be spoon-fed our entire lives. Because Paul says, live a life worthy of. That doesn't mean earn it. It means make an effort. Learn what God's doing in your life so that you can identify his voice. So that when he calls, you go. Because it's about him. And then on that day, we can say, I've lived a life. Well, God will say, because if you're really humble, you won't know it. Right? You ever heard that? The moment you think you're humble, you've lost it. You ever heard that? Well, God will say to us, you lived a life of humility and gentleness and patience because you abided in me. Because apart from me, you can do. So how are we going to do this if you're not going to him? It's not going to happen, is it? But doesn't this world need more humility? In a world where it's everything in Scripture has been compromised, feels like, because we want everything to be fair, according to what we think fair is. Because we want the world to be in our image. Even Christians are compromising Scripture because of that. That's not humility. That's arrogance to think we can veto what God says and then put our own stuff in there. That's not humility. When I read this passage, I don't see a definition of a lot of the people we would call Christians today, myself included. And that's not to be harsh. That's just to say there's something that greater we have to step into that we're not stepping into. And part of the process of that is humbling ourselves to a point where it's all God and we go where he goes, even if it's hard, even if it's countercultural. I hope it's countercultural. I'm a rebellious type. I like it when God does stuff countercultural. It's great. Shakes things up. Makes it exciting, right? But do you get it? Apart from him, you can do nothing. We have to step into him more and more and more. We've been saying that for the last few months because I think where God is telling us, or leading Bridgewood, we have to have that down. And not just here, but here. We're going to struggle with it. Good. Because we'll, we'll keep learning. We'll keep pressing in. We'll keep growing. And we'll get to that point. But we, as a congregation, have to get this down in our hearts. Does that mean it's going to be perfect every time? No. But at least we got to know. we got, we got to know that every morning it's always, Lord, what do you want to do in me and through me? Because I'm yours. I may not always follow through the way I want to, but I'm starting off my, my, my day, that one day I have, with that one question. That should be humbling myself before him, ready to go, and the one true God who is over all, in all, through all. You see, do you see this? I want to challenge you. I want, from this moment on, from literally this moment, when we start closing in prayer and all that stuff, 
is asking that question, Lord, when you, what do you want to do in me and through me and the rest of this service? Because that's what you got. And God can use you right now in this place. He can show you something right now in this place. Let's humble ourselves before him and say, Lord, what do you want to do? Because I love it when he rocks this place. And then when we, when we go out those doors, it inspires us to keep doing the hard work for Jesus Christ. Because we can't, we can't keep this trapped in here. We can't. We can't. So, Lord, have your way. Let's pray. Well, Lord, you're a pretty awesome God. You are. And, um, Lord, you know every heart inside and out in this room. You know the plans you have for them. Or may they understand that you have a call in your their lives. May they understand. May they know. And I pray, God, that you would continue to strengthen us as we step into that plan, as we continue to step into that call, as we continue to humble ourselves before you so that you can have your way, so that we can be completely humble and gentle and patient, bearing with one another in love, being unified through your Holy Spirit through peace. We claim these things in the name of Jesus. So, Lord, I pray as, as we go into this time of offering that you continue to stretch us. Because this is an opportunity. Even in financial crisis, who do we go to? We go to you, Lord. Because you never run out of money. You never run out of provision. You never run out of time. So whatever it is you're calling us to give, may we give it in faith whether it be money, time, energy, whatever it is, may we give it in faith, knowing that you are going to provide. That's humbling ourselves, knowing that you are in control and letting you have that control. So we thank you, Lord. Use this time. Lord, I pray that we would just rock this place. You would rock this place in us and through us in the remainder of the time we have here. Whatever you want it to look like, Lord, I pray that we would let you do so and not fight against you, but let you... Um, really take this place by storm and our hearts by storm and do a work. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.